Good evening. Here in central New York, thunderstorms are moving in. Some of you are just waking up in the morning. Some of you are here in the middle of the night. And some of you are experiencing the beginning of winter as our summer comes on. For those of us in the United States, we're on the eve of some important national observances. Tomorrow is Juneteenth, marking the day in 1865 when Union troops landed in Galveston, Texas, bringing news of the Emancipation Proclamation, which had been issued two years earlier to enslaved people in the South. This state holiday has particular significance this year amidst the largest ongoing protest against systemic racism in our history. The following day, June 20th, the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, will hold a digital assembly and march. You can tune in at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Time at june2020.org. That same day, Donald Trump will hold a campaign rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where in 1921, hundreds of black citizens were massacred by mobs who were outraged by their economic success in a district known as Black Wall Street. And all this month, online parades and gatherings throughout the country will mark the 50th anniversary of the first Gay Pride March, which was then called the Christopher Street Liberation Day March. 
held on the first anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. I know that many of you have felt some discomfort that can arise when outward responses to racism, sexism, religious intolerance, and hatred of lesbians, gays, bisexuals, transsexuals, people who don't fit in any of the containers our culture tends to feel are the right ones. It cause us, these feelings cause us to consider our inner attachment to the privilege we have, or even to acknowledge that we are privileged. And this is where our practice lies, to see the extent of our insulation from painful truths and to resolve, to work toward needed transformation within ourselves and our country. To do this work, we need to really go deeply into our practice, to experience the non-duality of relative and absolute. In case 43 of the Blue Cliff Record, a monk goes to Tozan and says, cold and heat descend upon us. How can we avoid them? Tozan retorts, why don't you go where there is no cold or heat? The monk asks, where is the place where there is no cold or heat? Tozan replies, when cold, let it kill you with cold. When hot, let it kill you with heat. So this monk, of course, is asking about 
how to get out of the endless round of samsara. Not just the cold and heat that are experienced in an Asian monastery where there are no heating or cooling systems, but all the circumstances of our lives that seem fixed and unchanging. A job that demands more than we can manage. A loss of livelihood. A culture of oppression and fear. An illness that may be fatal. Mentally obsessed by right and wrong, loss and gain, birth and death. How can we get out of samsara? Where can we go? where there is no pain. Twenty twenty has been quite the year so far. How do we face the challenges of the coronavirus, which isn't going anywhere soon? Societal injustice, worsening poverty, a planet in deep distress. What can we do in the face of such insurmountable situations? Can we avoid them? Maybe move to Mars. Well, Tozan tells this monk, why don't you go where there is no cold or heat? Of course, the monk wants to know where that is. And really, don't we all want to go to a place where there is no rancor, no hatred, no war? That place of perfect peace. But where do we find it? Toots and the mate all sang. Peace, perfect peace. I cry for peace in this neighborhood. 
Bola, bola, perfect love. I beg you for love in this neighborhood. I take a look inside and this is what I see. We need more love. We need more love in this community. So where do we go? To our own neighborhood, our own community our own practice. We must take a look inside and see what we may have been avoiding. And we must become a beacon of unwavering love. But the monk in this koan can't see. Hearing Tozan's words, why don't you go to that place? The monk thinks must be somewhere outside himself. And Hakuin commented, he conceives of an interpretation following the words, not realizing he's been given a method of changing his bones. How often do we do the same? interpreting what we hear according to our concepts, clinging to a superficial understanding of someone else's words, missing the gift that would change our very bones, our marrow, and that has no fixed abode. For as the Buddha says in the Diamond Sutra, we must develop a mind that alights on nothing whatsoever, that abides nowhere. So, then Tozan says, when cold, let it kill you with cold. When hot, let it kill you with heat. When in discomfort and pain, let it kill you with discomfort and pain. Go straight into the freezing tundra 
jump into the boiling cauldron. Then what? Is there any cold there? Any heat? If we see cold or heat or pain as some fixed condition, then we can never stop our efforts to make it just a little warmer, just a bit cooler, a little more comfortable. We get lost in the gradations of samsara and we can't realize the whole of it. Therefore, samsara and nirvana are kept apart. Self and other are seen as separate entities. So, What do you identify as your problem right now? Let it kill you. Let it kill that self that wants to organize the world according to your own conditioning. It makes you blind to the suffering of others. Where there is no place other than here. No going elsewhere. No hope for amelioration. And no view of cold or heat or pain or racism, or sickness as having some unchanging substance, or even as having no substance. When all such concepts are thoroughly upended, skewered, pierce through, then what? Just this is it. This is the place. And this is where our work occurs. Now, some of you may know that it was Tozan Yokai, together with Sozan, whom we met last Sunday, who founded the Soto School of Zen. Just sitting. Shikantaza. And Tozan also taught 
one of the most challenging practices called the five ranks. And the first two ranks are exemplified in this koan and by our koan of daily life on June 18th, 2020. The first rank is the apparent within the real. Here the apparent, the relative world, composed of the 10,000 things, disappears. There's just pitch black darkness of midnight. No eyes, no ears, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind. Only the absolute formless realm of one suchness. So Tozan tells the monk, when cold, let it kill you. When hot, let it kill you. But watch out. We can get caught here. We can get caught in the pitch black no no sickness and misconstrue Rinzai's bougie. Nothing to do. Huckleen warns, too often thinking that one's attainment of this rank is the end of the great matter and one's discernment of the Buddha way is complete. The disciple clings to it to the death and will not let go of it. This is called stagnant water Zen. Stagnant indeed, having an experience of the great death and thinking that the relative world is of no consequence, that one doesn't need to get involved, that Zazen is a free pass from engagement, entitling one to remain aloof above the fray of ordinary mortals' concerns. So that first rank can be quite dangerous, quite misleading. The second rank is the real within the apparent. 
Tozan says to the monk, why don't you go where there is no cold or heat? There is no unchanging essence called cold or heat. We emerge, we emerge from the absolute, the real, into the relative, the apparent, ordinary life. No birth and death and no end to birth and death as the Heart Sutra tells us. We meet each of the 10,000 things as a manifestation of true reality. We recognize sameness within differentiation. Each one of you here now, every being without exception is unique. Look around on your screen. Is there a single face that matches yours? And yet, simultaneously, every being is endowed with Buddha nature. So this rank shows us that all is revealed as it is now in the radiant glory of the morning as the Diamond Sutra puts it. And we just do what has to be done. Not with indifference, quite the opposite. With concern, with intimacy and love. I often think of Shunyu Suzuki Roshi's statement, to think because it is possible we will do it is not Buddhism. Even though it is impossible, we have to do it because our true nature wants us to. So even though a world without racism, without hatred and war, without life-destroying viruses and planet-destroying global warming, even though such a world seems an impossible dream. Nevertheless, we work for justice, peace, 
and healing. Why? Because our true nature, that which sees clearly and responds freely, wants us to. The Buddha didn't teach that we could avoid affliction. Enlightenment is not an insurance policy against dukkha. And dukkha is not an impediment to real happiness. If we think we have to eliminate dukkha before we can become happy, we will never succeed at either. Andy and I have been watching a new eight episode documentary on Netflix called Lennox Hill. There are no actors. The patients are real. The medical staff is real. The hospital, just a few blocks north of New York Zendo, is real. And the suffering is real. Every doctor, resident, and nurse on this documentary epitomizes Suzuki Roshi's statement. Even though it is impossible, we have to do it. All of them work unimaginably, unimaginably long hours and they're completely engaged even when completely exhausted. They care so deeply for each patient, whether cutting out a brain tumor. And I should warn you, the visuals are not for the squeamish or delivering a baby or treating an addict. It's never just a job. It's love for this community. Not one of them would put it that way, but as we watch what unfolds, it's clear that it's because our true nature wants us to. And that's what we are here to do.